Tonight I'm picking up on what will probably be the last formal message on the theme, Rediscovering the Kingdom. (coughs) Though every Sunday it's all about rediscovering the kingdom. And over the last few weeks, on and off, I've been sharing with you how we need to be jolted back into reality. The kingdom is real. The king has come. God has taken over. You say, well, wait a bit. If God's taken over, why is there still so much going on in the world that is not glorifying to God? That's why he taught us to pray every day. May your kingdom come. Just that bit more today. May your will be done. That much more fully in me and those I influence in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Now tonight I want to touch on what I consider to be one of the central dynamics of the kingdom. How does the kingdom operate? Now, the word that I've chosen to describe this is dependence, how we depend on him. And we'll look into that a little bit tonight. Now, I want to use for my text today the story of a remarkable healing in a very difficult situation, the healing of a boy with an unclean spirit. Mark chapter 9 is the passage, verse 14 and onwards. Let's read it all. Okay. And when they'd come to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what were you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he'd entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Quite a long time ago now, I got lost. I was 
was a, a Saturday evening and I drove out into the countryside, parked my car near a whole beautiful set of woods and trees and there I was as the sun was setting, communing with the living God and it got dark and I got lost. There was a, an unhelpful owl. And I thought I'd just orientate myself by that owl, but either that owl was a sneaky owl or there was more than one or I couldn't tell the sense of direction from the owl. I got more and more lost. Eventually, I found a road and followed it and it led me to a pub. And I entered the pub and I said, I'm a vicar, I'm lost. I've got no money on me. Can I make a phone call? And they sat down and said, have a drink. I said, yes, a Coca-Cola, please. <laughs> Having identified myself as a man of God, I thought I'd better keep the uh, thing going for a while and allowed me to call my wife and Amanda came and picked me up. I was ever so embarrassed. In a way, that's a bit like many people today, a bit like our society. The further we drift away from God, the harder it is to trust him and to find our orientation, the harder it is to depend on him and follow him. But the greater the challenge, the darker the day, the worse it becomes, but the greater the miracle that comes when God breaks through in our lives. We learn to defend, depend on him and follow him. Now, I haven't got time to go into it today, but it's very interesting. When you read through Mark's gospel, this story fits perfectly well in the context of people who are finding increasingly difficult to believe in the transforming power of the kingdom, and yet the teaching of Jesus on the necessity of faith because of the challenging days that lie ahead. And then also during this time, we find Jesus spending a whole lot more time training his 12 to prepare them for what is coming. Now, in a very real way, you heard a little bit last week, we'll say more about it in the new year, we are preparing for what we're calling the 2020 vision. Now, of course, we're setting goals and seeking to grow spiritually, seeking to multiply our numbers and fill the empty seats which aren't reserved for the angels. And if, if they are, they can move, we can let people in. And also that we can increase our influence in wider society because society is growing darker and darker, but all the more capacity for us to shine as light in a dark place, provided we learn and remember this dynamic of the kingdom that I'm teaching on tonight. We read the story quite fully. Let's recap. There's a boy with a demon causing epileptic type symptoms. Need to remember straight away that this isn't some ancient view of epilepsy and thinking it must be the devil. The uh, ancient people were able to distinguish between physical illnesses and other kinds of illnesses and demonic activity. But it seems that this demon was a deeply entrenched demon in this young boy, been with him since early childhood, knowing that there was no help available beyond human solution, the man brings him to Jesus for help, but Jesus is not there, he's absent at a conference. He's up the mountain, which we call the Mount of Transfiguration. So he says, okay, you disciples, you do it. Now, I have a suspicion that the disciples thought, easy peasy, we can do this, we've done it before. But then they got embarrassed because they found they couldn't cast him out. And so everything goes from bad to worse and then there's arguments and discussions and debates and the man is being pushed around and he is feeling what's going on. And during this story, 
four times, you read it through, four times the author here, the writer, emphasizes and underlines how deeply difficult this problem is. Showing that it was not an ordinary situation. Showing that it was beyond all help, even the help of the maturity of the disciples at that present time in their life. And I have a theory about that I'll come back to. This tells us at a time when faith in God was needed to most, it was nowhere to be found. But Jesus arrives. Do you notice what happened when Jesus arrived? They flocked around him and it says they were greatly astonished. Now it's a little bit of an overkill by way of language. They were surprised, they were welcomed, but absolutely overwhelmed. They were astonished. What was it about Jesus that astonished them? Was it because they thought, oh, now we're going to see it. This is the best thing. There's no television in those days. It's going to be the best show in town tonight. Jesus is going to come and sort those religious people out. We're going to see something. So was it his popularity? Was it the enthusiasm that they were going to see some kind of spectacle? I think not. The words are stronger than that. Something was present and visible on Jesus that astonished them. Mark doesn't describe it. But I have a theory, throw it out to you today, and I did check, there's one or two people who agree with me. Well, actually, I got the idea from them when I discussed it. Maybe there was something residual of the glory that manifested on the mountain. We know that when Moses' face shone, it lingered for a while. I don't know, I can't prove that, but there was something about Jesus that immediately attracted attention that was even more unusual than most days. And I say that to say this. When we've been in the presence of God and we fellowship with Him and we've had a glimpse of His glory, we are ready to enter into any situation because God is with us. Now something else that strikes me which is at the heart of this passage is, is Jesus' statement. It's almost as if He's expressing frustration. And if anyone was entitled to say, hey guys, you're just not getting it. When are you going to wise up? If anybody had the right to do that, it was Jesus. He says, oh faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Faithless generation. By the way, when Jesus says faithless generation, of course he's excluding himself. He wasn't part of the problem. He lived in a realm of pure faith. He was the solution. And how wonderful to know when we struggle with unbelief and struggle with prayerlessness and struggle with our desire to sort things out ourselves and fear and of the inability that we have to try and face some of the most difficult and intractable and situations are getting worse and worse in our society, we can always turn to the living God. We can turn to the one who holds pure faith and trust him. Oh yes, we're living in an age of faithlessness. I think we're living in a generation of deep independence. Self-reliance, I would say dependence on God, is at an all-time low in our culture and in our society. For all practical purposes, God is deemed to be either non-existent or irrelevant. And this is the product of our humanistic age. 
going right back to the 18th century, when the so-called Age of Enlightenment was born and rationalism came forth in our society, it was all about asserting culturally, philosophically, in every way, saying, we don't need God anymore. We have come of age. We don't need him. And today it's very hard to show people why we should have a healthy and right dependence on God. It's not weakness, it's just sanity. And so in this faithless generation, something happens that shows that the faithless generation is also a helpless generation. Certainly lacking answers to many things. There are lots of things that we can do for ourselves and we celebrate them as Christians. We thank God for the advances in technology. We thank God for medical advances we, and science and all that sociology or psychology and everything that we have discovered and as we've grown in our knowledge and understanding, we thank God for these things because at best, these things are the grace of God. But there are things which are so deeply rooted in our lives personally and in our society that are so broken that they cannot be fixed. Because at the root cause, it is something spiritual. And a spiritual problem requires a supernatural answer. That's why it is good to have a healthy dependence on God. That we can call people back to the reality of who God is. God is the only self-sufficient one, the only independent one. God is the only one who has the right to claim total independence, for he is God. We are dependent beings. Paul quoted one of the Greek philosophers when he was in Athens, and he said, even as your own poets say, in him we live and move and have our being. Pause there for a moment. In him we live and move and have our being. We are dependent on God for the very breath that we take. We are creatures, not the creator. And therefore we are dependent beings. We are dependent on God for our very existence. Our existence is not necessary. It's possible that we exist indeed. <laughs> we do exist. And it's possible also that we might not have existed. So let's wise up a little bit and recognize that there is someone outside of this world of space and time, the creator, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one who caused you to come into being, whatever biological process has brought you here. God is the God who made you. And if God is the God who made you, he is the God who can fix you, he is the God who can sustain you. But it's not possible for God not to exist. He is the source of all that exists. Therefore, we are totally dependent on him. To think or to behave differently is just foolishness. That's why Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. And out of this, he goes on to say, they are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Showing that the root of all that has gone wrong is that we have lost our faith in God. So this faithless generation is also a helpless generation. We don't even diagnose the problem correctly. At the root of it, there's a spiritual problem. 
You couldn't have treated this young man medically. Maybe you could have alleviated some symptoms. But if the cause was spiritual, then the solution had to be spiritual. So what is the solution then? A faithless generation, which is also a helpless generation, must learn to become a praying generation. Prayer is the greatest testimony you have to your dependence on God. Now, I wonder how we get on in Jesus' absence. Jesus goes up the mountain, takes his three key disciples with him, and they witness the transfiguration, which is the clearest manifestation of the glory and the power of God that they were to see. Jesus' divinity, his deity, his majesty were not outwardly visible. Yes, you could discern them when you saw Jesus' work and how he operated and you could begin to understand that Jesus was no ordinary person throughout the whole of the rest of the service today. We've been talking about the divinity of Jesus. How did the disciples get on in his absence? How do we get on? Now I know that Jesus is with us, but he's placed us on trust in a generation where we can't take people to the physical Jesus or get them around the hospitals or visit the churches. We are his visible representatives. How do we get on? Are we prayerful? Are we powerful? And when Jesus took them on inside and they said, why couldn't we do it? Now that was a deep question for them. My understanding is this, is that they had cast out many demons. Jesus had used them in that ministry. And so maybe when they went into this situation, they said, yeah, get out of the way, we can do it. But they found they couldn't do it. Why? Two main reasons. The obvious reason was they'd never met anything like this before. And today in our world, as we go out, we are meeting things we have never met before. The old methods aren't going to work. God is calling us back to the place of prayer to the place of wisdom, the place of revelation, so that we can be equipped for the challenges, the glorious challenges of our day. There was something else perhaps that was going on. Maybe they'd got a bit self-confident. Maybe they thought, this is easy, we've done it before, we could do it again. No, 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 no. Never, ever depend on your own ability. Never depend on your own experience. Always rely on Jesus. We find this when we're witnessing to people, they ask a question and we, before they even got the question out, we've got the answer because we've heard it before. We find this not really effective. What worked yesterday is not necessarily gonna work today. You need a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. Even in our work life, our businesses, our homes and our families, Never depend on yourself. Always depend on the Holy Spirit. So what after all is prayer? It's an expression of dependence, yes, but it's also partnering with God. Now, this is very important because if we think that dependence on God means that we have no responsibility, that God just kind of works through us, we're wrong. God is so amazing in that he draws us into the kingdom 
to partner with him in the kingdom. That's what makes it so amazing. We are not just pawns or puppets or cogs in his machine. God calls us to be partners as well as workers. We are sons who are also slaves. We're in training for reigning. And so he is encouraging us to participate with him, to cooperate with him in the operation of the kingdom. And that's a great challenge. Wouldn't it be easy to say, well, our job is just to say, God, you get on with it. There's London in a mess. We pray for you. We lay hands. We shandai, shandai. And then God works. No, 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 no. We get up from the place of prayer and we go and do what it takes. Prayer is not a magic wand. Prayer is not a fantasy thing. Now, I know it's after the offering, but does anybody have any money on them? After the offering, does anybody have any money? Anybody got a five-pound note? I thought I'd start with a 50, but I thought that's a bit too much, too optimistic. Okay, anybody got a banknote on them? All right. Okay, don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. Oh, there's, that, there's something shining. It's got, it's got a big 10. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Is that a real one? Oh, it's not one of those fake, it's a fake tissue one. All right, I'll use it. Okay, I will use it. Are, are you making these at home? And do they work? Well, anyway, actually... This was uncontrived, but it really, really does help me today. Okay, so we have two, four, six, eight, eight fake 10 pound notes. They're not forgeries, they're jokeries. Okay, all right. Now then, don't worry, I'm not gonna do a magic trick. That's the whole point. Magic doesn't work when we come to this. Now then, I would like you to stretch your hands forward and use all the authority possible to transform these fake notes into real notes. Would you do that right now, please? Where's your faith? Come on, come on, come on. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be surprised if it happened? Well, the whole point is, is that it's not going to happen. How many people believe it's not going to happen? All right. And that's the point of my illustration. Because prayer is not a fantasy operation. It's not a magic wand. Okay? So if we had maybe a real 10-pounder, I'll fold it up carefully and give it back to you because you never know by the time you get home. <laughs> if we had a real 10 pound note here and we'd just say, okay, God, I want you to multiply it. These are my loaves and fishes. Multiply it 5,000 times. Somebody calculate that for me. 10 pounds multiplied by 5,000 by, 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 by 5, times. That is, is that 50,000 pounds, is it? 50,000 pounds, am I right, am I right? Okay, 50,000 pounds. Now if you were to do that in all sincerity, in all sincerity now, not foolishness, in all sincerity, maybe God will say, let me tell you something. Why didn't you ask me how, I might, how you might wisely use that money? And it could be, I'm not saying this is a technique, it could be that God says, I'll tell you what I want you to do with that. I want you to take that money, I want you to sow it. Sow it into somebody's life. Maybe. Maybe. Don't worry. The offering's taken. Don't worry. We're not, going, we're not tricking you into anything. Or maybe you'll say, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to take that money and invest it. Maybe. Maybe he will direct you. But he won't just wave a wand over it and say, there it is, 50,000 pounds. He will say, now, if you want increase in your life, you have to cooperate with me. You have to flow with my will for your life. That's not just God saying, you cooperate with me. 
in a very real way, it's a partnership, God, in a way, and I say this very advisedly, cooperates with us. He works with us. He works through us. And so, partnering with the Holy Spirit is all about that, and we can never come to the place where we feel competent. This is such a vital point when it comes to the kingdom of God. The moment you think you can do it, it's game over. And yet God wants you to be involved. He wants you to depend on him and follow him carefully and closely. But the moment you think, I've got this, God. You can step out. You can step out. i got this. i got this. The moment you think you've got it, you're, it's game over. You haven't got it at all. And whatever it is, even if there's something that you successfully overcame yesterday, and the same thing comes up today, he says, okay, God, it worked yesterday. I'm going to go out as before. Remember the defeat at Ai following the victory of Jericho? Do you remember that? In the Old Testament, they went out, obeyed God to the letter, marched around seven days in a row, blowing their trumpets. On the last day, seven days, blew their trumpets, and the walls came down. What a great victory. The very next battle was a defeat. Didn't even ask God. Didn't even say, God, what must we do? They said, oh, it's easy. This is easy peasy. Let's go and do it and they were defeated. Never ever think that the kingdom of God operates through self-reliance. And therefore, all the good things we have, all our study, our education, our finance, our technology, strategy, all the stuff that we're doing and building, even as we plan for the future, I believe in it. I believe it's arisen out of our dependence on God. But the moment we transfer our trust to what we have done rather than what God can do, we're finished. Learn to trust Him. Genuine faith in God is always the answer. Four times in Mark's gospel, it's underlined how difficult, how impossible, how intractable this situation was. Went right back to childhood. We know that issues that start in early childhood can often be with us the whole of life until they're dealt with. But also, if you count, four times... Jesus affirms the necessity for faith. And there he is saying, you disciples, you missed it. This was something you've never encountered before. You've never been this way before. You've never met anything like this. But the answer is the same. This kind doesn't come out except through prayer. So now we are facing and are going to face increasingly challenging situations. As our culture moves further and further from God and into that vacuum is not necessarily people saying, Jesus, how can I be saved? They're calling on every other God, every other solution other than Jesus. We have to step into that gap, but don't mistake it. We need to go. Prayerfully. Now is the time to find the secret source of spiritual effectiveness, which is nothing more than dependence on God, especially prayer. I am calling you to pray like you've never prayed before. I'm calling you back to the place of prayer 
where you cover everything with prayer, soak everything with prayer. Let's step up the prayer challenge in this house. The simple prayer diary, these are nothing but tools. And like tools that you get from B&Q, they can just sit in your shed and never be used. So do not let those things gather dust in your home. Take them out. Take them with you. Pray every day. Pray in your private devotions. Pray in your weekly cell meetings. Pray with your prayer of three. Pray on the Wednesday nights. Pray on the all-night prayer chain that is there in, in, in our materials. How amazing. How amazing. What began in controversy and failure ends in a powerful miracle and a lesson for all time of those who are active in the kingdom of God. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, going straight to the source, not messing with any intermediary thing, not just saying, well, let's discuss a little bit more, let's analyze the problem. No, we know what the problem is. It's spiritual. We address the spiritual problem. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Now, you see how serious it was because the demon cries out, convulses him terribly. And the young boy falls to the ground. He's motionless. Everybody said, he's dead. He's dead. Maybe the evil spirit has won a victory here. Maybe there is a battle that he's won. He's finally killed him. But Jesus smiles. I don't know that he smiled, but I'm pretty sure he did. Took out his hand, lifted him up. You see, the devil comes to tear you down. The devil comes to destroy. But Jesus comes to bring life. Lifted you up. This is a demonstration of the gospel. Can I have the musicians back, please? This is a demonstration of the gospel. The authority of Jesus exercised in your life is always the opposite of death. Bringing life. Affirmation of life. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I want to say that God has purpose for your life. Life. Not death. Life. And the answer is total dependence on the one who is life. Can we have the singers and musicians back? They have got a surprise because I preach shorter than usual. <laughs> but I've done that tonight. Can we have the ministry team here? I've done that tonight because as well as preaching on it in a very short message, I've cut to the chase. I've cut to the points. Very basic, very simple, and I don't apologize for that because it's not complicated. We need God. Can I say that again? We need him. There are people tonight who need him. I need him. There are people outside of this place that need him. And we need to meet with him again. We need to have this outpour of a spirit of supplication and dependence on God. You know the best prayer that you could ever pray is God do what only you can do. We've seen enough of what we can do, God. Now it is time to see what you can do. And the world, in the world, we, we see enough of what happens when man is in charge. 
Now we want to see what happens when God is in charge. That's what the kingdom is all about. God is in charge. And the more we depend on him and the more we hear his voice and the more we flow with him, we're able to pronounce God's kingdom influence into the impossible situations that surround us and the desperately difficult situations that we encounter in our lives.